Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Glad that you guys are here with us. If you've got your Bibles going up at Luke uh, chapter 9, um, as you turn there, I uh, want to encourage you throughout the course of today and tomorrow to, to be in prayer. We've got about 45 middle school, high school students and, and adult leaders who are out uh, skiing in West Virginia this weekend. They'll be traveling home tomorrow, and so please be in prayer for a safe day of skiing today and a safe day of travel, as they were supposed to get a whole lot of snow, and instead they're getting a whole lot of rain and ice, and so we want to be um, in in prayer for them. Also, because of that, uh, pretty much, I believe, almost all of our uh, middle schoolers are, are there. So if you've got a middle schooler who didn't make it, but who was planning on coming to Bible study tonight, we will not have a middle school Bible study tonight because of that. Now, here, here's a little question, uh, or a little honesty, a little perspective that, that I learned about myself this weekend, okay? So, I've been in ministry now for about 17 years, and in the last 17 years, God has given me some some phenomenal places and opportunities to go and to do ministry, not only at the churches that he's called me at, but, but I'll be honest, I've been able to travel all over the world to, to, to do missions and to do ministry and have these opportunities. Uh, within the, the United States, I've been able to go to, to Orlando, to New Orleans, multiple times to New York, and just wonderful opportunities there to go. Guys open the doors internationally, been able to go to, to Canada, Mexico, Bolivia, uh, Haiti, uh, South Africa, Taiwan, um, and India, and, and I may have left something out. And so when, when God opens these doors, uh, sometimes uh, my lovely bride, she, she can go with me. God opens the doors for both of us. Her schedule's cleared. Uh, we can take off and we can go together. Uh, that happened a lot when, when we didn't have kids, right? Uh, we could pack up and we could go. We spent two and a half weeks in South Africa uh, right after we'd been married for about a year, and it was a wonderful opportunity. But if she can't go, here's what happens. I get to go, and, and y'all know this, at least twice a year uh, I'm, I'm gone. I'm somewhere within the United States once a year and then somewhere internationally once a year. And so I get to go, and then Aaron, um, as I sacrifice for the Lord and go to all these beautiful exotic places, right? Aaron stays home and she keeps the, the house together. She keeps the kids where they need to be. She keeps all of our pets because the Bradbury house is literally like a zoo with what we've got going on. I hope no one from the HOA is watching right now, right? Uh, it is crazy what's going on at her house and, and she keeps it going and it never fails, right? When I come home. The house is clean. Everything is how it should be as she takes care of all of that. Well, this weekend, she went skiing with the kids, and she left me home, 
and I'm not handling it well, all right? So I am looking forward to her being home. This is the first time, I believe, in, in 20 years that we haven't spent a Valentine's Day together. And she just sent me a picture of her and Emma out on the slopes. So she's having a blast. I'm glad she can do it, but I'm a little bit miserable right now, right? So y'all pray for me as, as I try to hold the standard too when, when she comes home. So uh, here, here's the thing. This morning, as we think about ministry, God provides ministry opportunities for you. And I want to ask you three questions concerning ministry. And, and I hope that, that, that my, my, my goal is, let me phrase it this way, my goal is not that you have to answer these questions right now, but that by the end of today or the end of this week, based off of what we're going to look at and, and what we're going to talk about, that you have an answer to these three questions about ministry. And as we, as we talk, as we think about what ministry looks like, here's the first thing I want to kind of challenge you with. Don't let this place count. It, it, it's easy for us, it, it's especially easy for me to look at the ministry that I do and have it fit very neat inside of the box of Willow Ridge Church. And I want to be honest with you, when, when I say don't let it count, that doesn't mean we're not grateful. Like, like I see faces in here who just this previous hour were, were next door sharing the gospel with, with the boys and girls who come up and, and who, who need to know and need to be trained and need to be discipled, and thank you for that. We just experienced men and women on this stage taking the gifts of, that God has given them and, and using them for, for ministry here. Right now, as, as you're watching me and, or if you're at home watching me on your TV, there, there's people who are working in the booth with, with technology to make sure that lights stay on, that words stay on the screen, and that microphones are at the level that they need to be. Like, and, I, and I'm very grateful for you and your sacrifice of that. But when I talk about ministry, and I can think about this for, for me as well, when, when we limit it to what we do in the church, there's a whole uh, 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 harvest field waiting for us outside of the walls of this church that I feel like God is calling each and every one of us to tap into. And so if you were to ask me what my ministry is, I, I'm hoping what I would communicate to you, not only what I do here but what I do outside of here as well. With the men and women in my unique situation that God has placed in my life for me to minister and for me to care to. So here are the three questions I wanna ask you this morning as we think through this. Number one, what is your ministry? What is your ministry? With, with, where, with, with who you are and the gifts that God has given you, what is the vision of ministry that God has given you for outside the walls of this church? The second question I want to ask you, where is your ministry? Where has God strategically placed you and gifted you so that you could live for his name and for his glory? Now, I want to about this one really quick. Some of us say everywhere. Right? Some of us say everywhere. Well, here's what I want to kind of challenge on that a little bit. Even Jesus defined where his ministry would take place, even though he never stopped. All right? Scripture's clear numerous times. We'll see one instance this morning where after doing ministry, Jesus kind of retreats and has a break. 
So if Jesus needed a break from his place of ministry, we do as well. So what is your ministry? Where is your ministry? And then the third that I want you to think is, is who is your ministry? Who is your ministry? Like right now, when I'm thinking about my ministry outside of this place, there are two faces that continually come to mind for me. Two places of two men that I feel like God has placed in my life for a unique purpose for me to display and to share the gospel with them. And so like, we're, we're not going to stand at the door and, and as you leave, answer these three questions for me. But as you're growing in your faith, as you're growing in your response to the Lord, as you're looking at your life outside of these church walls to really embrace the great commission of what God has for you, what is your ministry, where is your ministry, and then who is your ministry? And, and what I want us to, to see of, of what Jesus is going to, to do is that when we begin to embrace this, that Jesus calls us into ministry, all of us. Jesus prepares us for ministry and then Jesus equips us for ministry. And that's what we're going to see in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. There's so much that's filled in, in this chapter of Scripture that, in fact, over the next, we've been doing like a chapter or, or two each week, but we're going to actually spend three weeks in Luke chapter 9 kind of working through this together as we begin to see Jesus' ministry is going to begin to head down a, a more narrowed and focused path with what he has, but then also something very important happens. Jesus begins to share in, 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 in Luke 9 the invitation of ministry. And so Jesus has been modeling this. Jesus has been talking about this. But what we find in Luke chapter 9 is the invitation of ministry. And so let's start reading in verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere." So Jesus has come to this, this ragtag group of 12 that he's called to follow him and that have responded. And, and remember, they're coming from all different backgrounds, but none of them are coming from a background of ministry. You've got fishermen, you've got tax collectors, you've got this, this uh, Peter kind of comes from this, this like political zealous crowd that, that's there that, that wants to overthrow the government. But like none of this group have been theologically trained. None of them have gone through a, a five-year process of building them through a leadership pipeline, of elevating them from position after position. But, but Jesus calls this group of people and is going to mobilize them. And here's going to be the key. Because there's so many of us sitting in here this morning, and you think to yourself, there's no way I can do that. There's no way. There's no way that I can have a ministry. 
I'm young in my faith. There's no way I can have a ministry. I don't know enough about the Bible. There's no way I can have a ministry. I'm an introvert who is petrified to speak to anyone. And there's no way I can have a ministry. I'm too busy, right? But what we see is Jesus takes this group who could have reason after reason after reason. And not only does he mobilize them, Jesus gives them in Luke chapter 9 power and authority to go. Now, this isn't the same thing that's going to happen, but it's similar of what takes place in the book of Acts. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells us that we'll receive authority and power to go. And then, and then later on at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the believers and they go. And through the power of God, they fulfill the ministry that God has for them. And this is what we see and this is what God is doing in the life of the believer. Sure, you don't have enough knowledge. No one has it all. Sure, you're, you're, you're busy. We're, we're, we're all busy. Sure, you've got insecurities and reasons. We've all got insecurities and reasons that want to hold us back. But just in this moment, as Jesus gave them power and authority, Jesus does the same thing for you and I. But then Jesus does something neat here. And it's the same thing as we're leaning in on him in our life of what Jesus does in their life to what Jesus is going to do for us. Their going is going to be based on dependency of him. Notice Jesus says like, hey, leave some things behind. Leave your staff that would protect you. Leave your bag that would carry your money so that you can provide for yourself and your water that would be in it. Leave your bread and the basic nourishment that you would leave behind and leave your tunic behind as well, which would provide comfort and shelter for them as they travel. What Jesus is saying that when we embark in ministry with him, he's not saying tomorrow when you go to work, if that's where your ministry spot is, to leave your wallet at home. But what Jesus is saying is you, if you're going to do the work of God, you can't be dependent on yourself. You must be dependent on me. Because the work you're going to do is not the work that you're capable of, but it's the work that Jesus is capable of through you. And this is going to be important as we see Jesus is going to dive deeper and deeper every single time in Acts chapter 9 into the relationship with the disciples. Say, I've got a work for you to do, but you've got to depend on me to get you there. You've got to depend on me to sustain you, and you've got to depend on me to do the work that needs to be done. But Jesus is also very key that the work they're going to do is the kingdom work. He says, as you go into these villages, you're going to heal, right? Imagine that. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the power to heal. Jesus says to these disciples, I'm going to give you power and authority over, over demons. They've seen Jesus call out demons. They've seen what that looks like, and now Jesus is giving them the authority to do that as well. But Jesus says, as you do these things, make sure that you proclaim the kingdom of of God. Here's a concern that we must address if we're going to do ministry that is focused on God's kingdom. 
you and I, we can do a lot of good works for people. We can be kind. We can meet physical needs. We can reach out and and seek to live our lives in a position and, and posturing of service to those around us. I'm not saying that we should not do these things. In fact, we should, and it is based in God's word and truth that we do these things. But at some point in time, we use these as opportunities to share with and to talk about and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to work in the kingdom. Because it's not about the works, it's about the one who sends the workers. So we have to have have our mind focused in on that. I heard a pastor say this years ago, and I've loved this and tried to embrace this in my life. He said, unfortunately, so many times we go out into this world and we love people straight to hell. And here's what he meant. We care for you. We love you. We serve you. We provide for you. But we never tell you about Jesus. And in that, we can leave you thinking all is well when Jesus needs to address the sinful heart that you have. So Jesus sends them out. He sends them into ministry with a a purpose and, and, and with a point. And so the disciples go. And they go out and they come back to Jesus and they report all that's happened and all that's taken place. And then Jesus does something. He, he, he takes this group of disciples and he withdraws away to, to a very small town where, where he can just be there with his disciples. But crowds of people find out. Like word is out about Jesus and the stuff that's happening. I mean, think about it. There was one guy who was doing this and now there's 12 that are going out and doing this in his name. And so the crowds begin to flock and begin to come and find out where Jesus is. And they find and and, and they surround Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus begins to teach and do healings there. And so the crowd begins to grow and grow. And a problem rises up. After a long day of of teaching, after a long day of of healing, in this small, rural, out in the middle of of nowhere town, there begins to be some grumbling that, that people are hungry. And and it's hard because there's nowhere around. There's not a Walmart down the road, right, where you can go and just provide a a meal for them. And so the disciples come back with with a logical plan. They say, Jesus, let's just send them away for food. But Jesus is going to step in and do something different. And here's what I want us to, to think of as you think about the ministry, the what, the where, and the who God has for you. That oftentimes, logic can interfere with ministry opportunities. I'm not saying throw logic out the window. God gave you a brain, use it. But before you lean in on your own understanding, right, trust him, listen to him, and seek him. So we jump down and look at verse 13. Jesus looks to solve the problem, and Scripture says, but he said to them, and I love this, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all of these 
people. Verse 14, for there were about 5,000 men. So let's pause real quick. There's not just 5,000 people there. A low estimate would be somewhere around 10,000. But for whatever reason, during this time, when, when you surveyed a crowd, you only counted men. So what they're saying to Jesus is, look, we've got five loaves and two fish unless, right, we can go buy food for all of these people. Jesus, this is impossible. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. And we have a problem. Continue back in verse 14. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. I love this. And they did so. And had them all sit down. Verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Right, so this ministry opportunity comes up. And notice what Jesus did. You're going to give them something to eat. The what? You're going to seat them in groups of 50, the where, you're going to take the food and hand it to them, the who. And Jesus doesn't walk around, that's me, I did this. What does he do? Jesus did the work, but he gave the disciples the opportunity to partner in ministry. A beautiful picture of what life looks like when we walk with God. God could have chosen any means to declare his glory. God could have chosen any means to bring people to himself. But what God does is he gives you and I the wonderful opportunity to partner with him if we'll just listen and be obedient. Jesus says, I'm gonna give you the what? I'm going to give you the where, and I'm going to give you the who. Also notice that within this, Jesus didn't display this to the disciples in a three-step plan before all of this happened. They came with a problem. Jesus says, we're going to take care of it. They said, okay. Jesus said, we're going to get them in groups of 50. They said, okay. And then after they were all in their groups, Jesus said, now this is what we're going to bring them. And they said, okay. Every single instance of a step of trust. And folks, this is what ministry looks like. This is what the opportunities are that God has given us. And then look at verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Jesus did the work. The disciples were obedient to what God had called them to do. And as a result, those who came that were both physically and spiritually hungry left satisfied in their encounter with Christ. Now, did all of them become followers of Jesus? No. There's no way. There's no way close to 10,000 people in this moment all became followers. But in this moment, they had an encounter of positivity, not only with the physical of what needed to be done, but they heard the spiritual needs as Jesus taught them there as well. 
Jesus has given the disciples a true hands-on ministry experience. And it's what Jesus wants to give you and I. Regardless of all of the excuses and all of the reasons that you and I can come up with, none of us are qualified enough. None of us are experienced enough. None of us are talented enough. If we were, we wouldn't need Jesus. And so he holds back so that he can step into the voids that we acknowledge within our life. Like, don't wait until you're educated enough. Don't wait until you're experienced enough. Don't wait until you're polished enough because you will never get there. And if you're waiting till you get there, you're not trusting Jesus, you're trusting yourself. So after this is over, the scripture says that Jesus gets away again with his disciples. And I can imagine like, like being there. Like this for these guys, uh, real, real quick show of hands. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Raise your hand, right? That's awesome. Thank you all for, for going from hearing from the Lord and being willing to go outside your comfort zone and, and serve him. I, I've, been on, I've been on a ton of mission trips, but I will honestly say probably the, the most special mission trip that I've ever been on was my first mission trip. Right? And, and in this, this is what these disciples have had. They've had their first mission trip. They, they've, they've been given some work to go do, and they've, they've gone and done it. They've had some people come to them, and they, they see Christ show up in a miraculous way, and things happen, and things take place. And now, instead of being on the outskirts watch, watching it happen, they got their hands dirty in the ministry. And I can imagine that, that there begins to be like this buzz amongst the group of them about what are we going to do next? What is waiting for us? I can't wait to see what the next town is going to look like and what the next miracle is that we're going to have an opportunity to do. And so Jesus withdraws and brings the disciples with him. And he asks them a question. They've gone into the cities and the villages. They've sat with their groups of 50 and he says, who do they say that I am? And the disciples begin to speak. They say, well, some of them say that you're, you're John the Baptist, who had just been executed. Some say you're Elijah, prophet of old. Some say you're, you're an, another, a, a different prophet of old that has passed and come alive again. But Jesus isn't concerned about what the crowd is thinking of him. But in verse 20, he nails them down and gets to the point. It says, then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You've seen this. You've experienced this. You've walked with me. You've heard my teaching more than anyone else. But who do you say I am? And scripture tells us, and Peter answered, you are the Christ God. Literally, he says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Now, here's where this goes and turns in a moment of power between Jesus and his disciples. What Jesus is going to do next is explain to them what exactly that means. What Jesus is going to explain is that if he is truly the Messiah, that there's a calling 
that he must fulfill. What Jesus is pointing them to is that there is a work that he needs to do. Look at verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so when Peter declares, Jesus, you're the Messiah, like you would think, like this is the high point. This is the culmination where the celebration would happen and and take place. The long-awaited Messiah that we've looked for from the Old Testament, from the prophets of what we look to come back and establish the kingdom. Jesus, you're going to overturn this political thing that's happening here. Jesus, you're going to overturn this military thing that's happening here. But what they forget about is the Messiah that Isaiah talks about and the suffering servant. That the Messiah that Jesus is, he's not a political Messiah. He's not a military Messiah. He's a a sacrificial Messiah. And so Jesus says, if you expected me to be this type of powerful leader and powerful authority, then you've got to understand that I'm different. I'm different than what you hoped for different when you expect it. You see, Jesus will display his power by allowing others to have power over him. Jesus will display his power by displaying his mercy. Jesus will show his power by by being obedient. Jesus will show his power by displaying unconditional love. Jesus will show his power ultimately Not by stopping death, but by defeating it. And in order to defeat death, he must die. You see, Jesus says, there's a a calling on my life as well. There's a road that I have to walk. And it's a road of suffering that I'm going to go down and that I'm going to embrace. I feel like that's probably not what the group was expecting, not what the group was going to hear. But Jesus continues to turn to a greater understanding. Because the next calling that Jesus is going to have in this is not his calling, but his calling to them. The position that you and I are called to. This group of men who have gone out and performed miracles. This group who have gone out and been given power of God. This group that has gone out and received authority that the Son of Man can give them and give them alone. But he's going to say, but here's what your life, here's the calling that we all embrace. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So there's a litmus test here in verse 23 through 27 that we're going to see of a notable of, of those who were truly followers of God. Not those who claim to be church members, not those who claim to, to do a bunch of good things, not those who say, well, I've got this all worked out and figured out, or I've said a prayer, or I've checked a box, but those who will inherit the kingdom of God, those who will gain life, there's a standard that's there. And Jesus says, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross every single day and follow me. Jesus was called to suffer. It's part of what he fulfilled within, within all of what the Old Testament pointed to. It wasn't just the suffering that, that happened on the cross because he did that, but it was the suffering that was embraced as divinity stepped out of, he, of heaven and stepped foot in humanity on this earth and walked through this life. You see, what Jesus said is that not only will he be killed, but he'll be rejected. Jesus will be mocked. Jesus would be deserted. Jesus would have those who speak ill of him, who spread lies about him. Jesus would have those close to him killed and executed. Jesus would experience hunger and pain and loneliness. Why? For the embracement of the cross so that he would receive death and defeat it and overcome. So the question is this. If Jesus is called to suffer, then what makes us so arrogant that we think that we're not called to suffer as well? Jesus doesn't say, pick up your nice, comfortable chair and follow me to the next location, right? Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus calls us for a, a suffering of self-denial. So what must we lose? I don't think Jesus is talking about basic needs here. I think what Jesus did in, in, in Luke 9 at the very beginning was to, to prove a point in their first steps of, of ministry. I don't think that Jesus is, is talking about luxuries, all right? So like, don't beat yourself up because you got a boat or a nice house or, or, or an iPhone, okay? Like, like, don't go home and break that stuff. Now, he may call you to give some up. That's between you or him. But as a whole, that's not what Jesus is, is getting down to. Jesus is talking about a, a sin pattern that has plagued humanity since the fall of man in Genesis. And it's the desire of every individual that fills our hearts and consumes us of self-centeredness and idolatry that cause us to think that we're the center of our own little world. I read a pastor this week who was talking about this, and he made a very simple but powerful statement. And here's what he said. In order for Jesus to be your master, you must first step out of that position. In order for Jesus to be your master and mine, we need to send in our letter of resignation. 
Because what we try to do is to say, no, I'm my own master. And what we try to do in this world is say, Jesus, you're the Lord. Jesus, you're my master. But let me get the seat right beside you as we stay in this position. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. What you're called to do is to follow me daily. And what that means is you take up your cross. You know, in the, in the narrative of, of Jesus' crucifixion, and I don't know why the, the, the Romans and the authorities chose that, but it, but it wasn't a common execution that we find where, where, what they did with Jesus. Oftentimes, what Rome would do when someone was to be executed through crucifixion is they would get them out of their prison cell, they would give them their cross, and they would follow them around. And they'd have them walk through the city and around the city. And while they walked carrying this massive cross, they had already been beaten, they'd already been denied food and water, so they were weak and the cross was heavy, that they would hit them and they would whip them as they were carrying their cross. And so as you would walk through the city carrying your cross, people would know, number one, that where you were headed is to your death, and your cross would define you. And then once you fell down, and you couldn't go any farther. You've passed out from the heat. You've passed out from the exhaustion. They would turn the cross over. They would nail you to the cross. And wherever you fell, they would drop your cross in the ground. And that's where you would die. And it was a position for Rome to say every time you see someone carrying a cross, you recognize our authority over their life. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, here's what we have to display. The denial of yourself and the authority of Christ in your life. And it may be a painful process for you. As you deny your heart the sinful desires that it longs for. And as you die to yourself so that God can reign. Think about what Jesus had just done earlier with the disciples. If you're gonna be effective in ministry, it's not gonna be found in your ability. If you're gonna be effective in ministry, it's not gonna be found in your personality, in your gifts, in what you were able to do. If you're gonna be effective in the ministry and the life that God has for you, it's going to be found in denying yourself and depending on Jesus. It's a question I have for you this morning. What ministry does God have for you? Where does God have this ministry for you? And who is your ministry? And as you think of that calling as you think of those places, as you think of those people, if it's going to be done for the name and the kingdom of God, it can't be you who sits on the throne. It's got to be Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that you call men and women to partners in ministry.
that you call us to come alongside you as you do the work, but you give us the food. As you do the work, but you give us the strategy. As you do the work, but you give us the people. And Lord, we have an opportunity every single day to go out to a group of men and women who are searching, who are hungry, and who are lost, and who are broken. And we have the opportunity to give them the one that satisfies. And so Jesus, this morning, I pray that as we think about our what, as we think about our where, as we think about our who, where we will lay down every excuse at the foot of the cross about why we cannot do that. We're not smart enough. We're not gifted enough. We're not experienced enough. Our story's too messy. Our life isn't in order yet. But Lord, when we live on those excuses, we're still seated on our throne. And it is only, Lord, when we can lay those excuses down that we can step off of our throne and to see you rightfully placed as Lord over our life. And so, Lord, today, give us a what, give us a where, give us a who. Set in our hearts the urgency of the gospel. Lord, have us live in power and authority to be and to do what you've called us to do, to deny ourselves the sins of this world that we want to chase after as we celebrate the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's redeemed us, who's bought us, who's paid for us, who's set us free, who's given us life, who's covered us with blood, who's given us hope so that others might know so that others might respond all for your name and for your glory and it's in Jesus name we pray amen in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to respond in worship I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium maybe today you realize that seated on your throne is you and you've always been there and today is the day to step off of your throne, repent of your sin, and ask Jesus if he would take his rightful place. If that's who you are and you want to talk about a relationship with Christ, I'd love to speak with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'll be right back there. But maybe you're like me this week, right? And I recognize that I've got multiple thrones. And some of them, I'm, I, I put Jesus there, but some of them, I've got me there. Some of us, I'm trying to sit in the seat with him, you know? Maybe, maybe that's us. And you should have a time of brokenness and repentance. Maybe you just need to pray and ask Jesus, what is your what? What is your where? And who does he have for you? The altar's open. Come and bow down and kneel before him. 
just respond this morning in how God is leading you. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. And it's for your name, your hope, and your glory. We pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.